Our gospel reading this morning is Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 20. And um, Jesus has been, at this point in the story, Jesus has been going around and teaching, and he has been healing. There have been miracles, and he has um, sent out his disciples. They have been uh, healing and driving out demons. And uh, that's where we'll pick up the story, Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 20. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we do pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear your word that is read and proclaimed this morning. Lord, we ask that you would not only give us ears to hear, but minds to understand and hearts that are prepared and ready like good soil, to receive your word into our lives, that we would be those who bear much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark six fourteen to 20 says, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and he liked to listen to him. There's more to that story. We'll get that next week. But for now, our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 Verses 1 through 14 this is actually the conclusion of the book of Second Corinthians. We have been reading all the way through, and uh, this is how Paul ends his letter to the church in Corinth. Chapter 13, verses 1 to 14. It says, This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, 
but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. That is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we come to our sermon text this morning. Um, those of you who have been around for a while are definitely expecting a long recap, and we're not going to do it. If uh, you want a long recap, you can listen to last week's sermon uh, or just read the first 43 chapters of Genesis. Um, either way. But this morning, one of the reasons we're not going to give the long recap is because in the story itself, uh, Judah is going to give us a pretty good recap of what's going on. And uh, so this is Genesis chapter 44, verses 14 through uh, 34. Uh, The uh, brief recap is this is the story of Joseph and his brothers when they are in Egypt after they had sold him as a slave and now... um, he has uh, kind of framed one of the brothers for wrongdoing and is calling them to account. Um, We have mentioned before that this is not something he was doing uh, out of revenge for how they treated him earlier when he had sold them into slavery, but this is something he is doing uh, as a way of revealing their character, revealing who they are now, revealing uh, if they are the same people that they were all that time back when they had sold him into slavery. And last week where we left off, uh, we had kind of a cliffhanger, and I'll just let you know we're going to have kind of a cliffhanger again this week. Um, but this is how the story goes. Last week when we left off, they uh, had we had a hint that maybe they're not the same people that they were all that time back. And the hint that we had is that, um, that when Benjamin, the youngest brother, the favored brother of their father, was found to have uh, Joseph's cup in his sack of grain, then uh, all the brothers tore their clothes and went back to Egypt with him. They didn't have to. They were free to go. But they showed uh, sorrow, and they went back with him. And we said, okay, there's a hint. There's something. What's this going to look like? And so this is where we pick up the story today. And as I say, we'll get some more recap as we get into it. Um, But first, verses 14 through 17, we get the dilemma that the brothers are faced with. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? 
What can we say, my lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it for me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. There we go. Great, right? They're all off the hook. I mean, except the one. Just Benjamin, that's all. Um, now, if you remember earlier in the story, this is going to be a problem. Judah's going to explain why. But also, notice this. Who is it that answered Joseph when he talked to them at this point? He says, what is this thing you've done? And who is it that answers him? Of all the brothers, it's Judah. Now, if you remember many weeks ago, if you've been going through this with me, uh, we talked about how starting in Genesis 37, it looks like the rest of the book of Genesis is kind of the story of Joseph. And I said, it is, but it's also the story of Judah. It is. And this is one of the places where we see that most clearly, that this is a big part of what Judah's story has been leading up to. Uh, Judah is not as young as he was back in the day. Remember, it was Judah's idea back in chapter 37 to sell Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And, um, and then in chapter 38, we see this incident with uh, Judah and his... He's had three grown sons, but he has this issue. So we know he's older at that point. He has this issue with his daughter-in-law. And that's a very colorful story. If you missed it, go back and read that one. But at the end of that story, he says, you know, she is more righteous than I. Like he has had his own putting himself first, trying to scheme and protect and do his own thing. He's had that put in his face. And he is, just like we were doing earlier with our uh, prayer of confession, as we kind of hold ourselves up to a higher standard, that's what he was put face-to-face with. And he is put face-to-face with somebody who is um, living by a higher standard. He says, she is more righteous than I am. And now we come all the way this far forward, and of all the people... Judah's the one who speaks up. When now Benjamin's uh, life is on the line. Uh, and, and of course, this is the test. Before we even get into it, this is the test. That what uh, Joseph has been trying to find out is, are they the same people? So how does he do that? He does the same thing. We'll make it to where the favorite brother is now going to be a slave in Egypt. That's exactly what Judah had in mind the first time around. Favorite brother out of the picture. Everybody else gets to go home to dad. This is going to be great. But at this point, that's not how they see it. They don't see this as great at all. And we talked last week about some of why that might be. Picking up in verse 18, here's how Judah answers. He just gives them the backstory of the whole thing. Verse 18 
Then Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead and he is the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. We said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go down. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. This is the backstory. As Judah paints the whole picture now for Joseph, who he does not recognize as Joseph. He paints the whole picture. He lets him know that, yeah, he is, Benjamin is clearly the favorite uh, son at this point. If there's anybody that the brothers would want out of the way of their father's love, it would be Benjamin. And now Benjamin is the one who is... uh, on the hook, and in fact, as far as his brothers know, he's guilty as charged. All the evidence points to him. The cup was in his sack after all. Sure, they didn't do anything wrong, but who's to say he didn't? So maybe Benjamin's just getting what he deserves anyway. But then we have the last two verses we're going to look at today. Verses 33 and 34. We get uh, Judah's proposal. It says, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Do you hear this? Do you hear the proposal? This is nothing like the proposal he made all that time back when he's like, hey, let's sell our brother into slavery in Egypt. Young Judah was looking out for himself and trying to find a way to make things good for himself. And now he's had a lot of years to reflect on how living like that messed up his life and the lives of all those around him. And now, older Judah, wiser Judah, 
Judah, who has been brought face to face with his own sin and selfishness, basically gets an opportunity for a do-over. He gets to relive that same kind of experience again. What do you do this time with the favorite brother, the favorite son of your father, that is? Sell him to slavery in Egypt? And this time, it's not just that he's annoying you as the favorite brother, but this time, he may have actually done something to deserve it. What do you do? And what Judah does here is offers himself up to redeem his brother. Offers himself up as payment for his brother. Offers to take the punishment that his brother deserves so that his brother can go free. Does this sound familiar? Does this ring any bells? The whole of the Bible points forward to Jesus. But this is one of those moments where it points pretty clearly. Of someone who is uh, laying down their own life for the good of someone else. Now, obviously it's not one of those where Every single detail of the story matches up exactly. You push this too far, it gets really bizarre. But in, uh, in general, this is what we see, is an echo um, or foreshadowing of Christ-likeness. This being willing not to, not to put self first, but to self-sacrifice, to put someone else first. Judah here is prioritizing his father over himself. He's prioritizing his brother over himself. And this is not the way that we tend to think. We're taught more, you got to look out for number one. You got to watch out for yourself. If you're not looking out for you, nobody else is going to, so you better do it, right? We're taught airplane mentality when it comes to oxygen masks. Yeah? You get on an airplane and the flight attendant tells you before the flight about the oxygen mask every time. If you're your 50th flight, you don't get to skip that. You have to hear it every time. The oxygen mask comes and you are uh, with a child. What are you supposed to do? Put it on yourself first. Why? So you can help others. And this is exactly right. If you're on an airplane and you're trying to put the oxygen mask on somebody else first, you're like, oh, I'm going to take care of them before I take care of me. And then you pass out and you take care of nobody, right? And so they say, no, you put it on yourself first. That way you're okay to be able to help somebody else. And this is how we tend to think of uh, our lives in general is, look, I got to look out for me first. And only after I am making sure I'm taken care of, then I can start taking care of other people. Sounds right, doesn't it? On the one hand. There is another hand. This is uh, when you... When you fast forward in this story all the way to the New Testament. And you get to, uh, you get to Jesus and you look at a place... Like John 15, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, my command is this, 
love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you my friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my, fa- in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And what Jesus is, uh, is saying multiple times throughout this whole passage here is love each other with the same kind of love that I have for you. Well, what kind of love has Jesus had for us? He says, well, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He says, oh, by the way, I call you my friends. Hmm, I think I can connect those dots. Jesus, thank you. Saying, I love you so much, I am going to lay down my life for you. Now I want you to do that for other people. And we're like, but what, what, now what if they don't deserve it? Do you think you deserve it? <laughs> no, that's not the criteria. And then we think, well, when you look at the life of Jesus, is he an oxygen mask on himself first kind of person or not? And it all depends on where you think that oxygen's coming from. Jesus is willing to sacrifice all kinds of things all kinds of people. He doesn't care about hoarding money to make sure he's taken care of before he gives freely and generously. He doesn't seem particularly concerned about stockpiling food or clothes before giving and giving. In fact, these are the kinds of things that he says, you know, Pagans run after these kinds of things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. But you know what we don't see Jesus sacrificing? Isn't that a weird question? What we don't see Jesus sacrificing is time with his father that relationship with his heavenly father. That is the real oxygen mask. And we act like it's all these other things. We act like that's the thing that we can get rid of. And we can make sure that first I have enough money for myself. First I have enough clothes for myself. First I have enough food for myself. And once I have all those kinds of things, then there's leftovers, then I can help other people. Jesus seems to live a very different way. He says, if you have the relationship with God first, everything else you can give up for others and for their good. And this, I think, is part of what we are seeing uh, hinted at in the life of Judah. This is a, um, I mean, we're still kind of early in the whole biblical story. But as we're nearing the end of the book of Genesis, we have seen a major transformation in the person of Judah. And um, interestingly, 
Judah as somebody who has transformed from someone who was a self-first kind of person to now someone who is self-sacrificing, willing to spend the rest of his life as a slave in Egypt if it means that his brother can go free. It's big. And I suspect um, that it is because of this change in his life that when we get later on in the story, later in Genesis, and then it gets repeated again and again and again, we get that, that Judah is going to be uh, the one through whom, it's going to be his family line, through whom the Messiah comes to be the king over everyone, everything. And when you open the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, it begins with one of those boring genealogies that I no longer find boring at all. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah and his brothers. You hear that? Judah was the father of, and we go on from there until we get all the way down to Jesus. This change uh, in Judah's life from someone who is self-first to self-sacrificing is the kind of change that is needed in this world. By nature, naturally, we are all self-first. But supernaturally, there is another way. And if we, um, if we remember the love that Jesus has for us, the way that he has given his life for us already, if we are maintaining that relationship, we already have our oxygen mask on. And we are free then to help others, giving as needed of our time, of our resources, of our energy, of whatever. Laying down our lives for the good of others, whether they deserve it or not. This is how we come uh, to, as Jesus said, love others like he loves us. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.